0: Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your
1: host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moje. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that.
0: Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing
2: topics,
0: terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you improve your art of GMing
1: one show at a time. Better, better, better.
0: And we are entering the banter segment. Welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM.
1: We are here to talk to you about all the great fun you can have while you are running your games and tabletop RPGs and hoping that you find some kind of enjoyment or at least uh, patience with us as we go through all the different topics. Speaking of... We're looking forward to 2019. Is there a topic we have not covered that you would like us to talk about? Or is there a topic we've touched on that we said, but that's a whole other show that we haven't done yet? Drop us a line and let us know on our Facebook, Facebook group, Twitter, Instagram, or throw us a few dollars on Patreon. And guess what? You'll go to the top of the list. There. Also, Self-promotion.
0: Discord.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I forgot about the Discord.
0: Yeah, we have a Discord server. So, yeah, we, we have that. That is a thing that we do. And I've actually been trying to be way more active on it of late. So, because that is where we also, with what we have as far as patronage goes, we have opened up the monthly chat. So every month there will be a special members, uh, discord members, that are patrons will get to sit down and have like an hour chat with us once a month. Just about whatever they want to talk about.
2: I'm definitely going to be there. I live on discord.
0: I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't, but I did recently put it on my phone so that if something comes up, I will get a notification about it. Sometimes
1: I, I had to turn off notifications from discord.
2: I'm sure <laughs> it's sure. all about it's all about figuring out which notifications you want, but configuring discord is another episode
1: in fact, that will likely be something we talk about in another month or two where we go how to use discord, what it's good for, what it's not good for, similar to kind of what we're doing here tonight but or whenever you're listening but uh gentlemen, what have you been up to <sighs>
0: I have been trying to figure out how I'm how I'm going to take my Red Dead Redemption Two game and stream and and stream it on Twitch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> of you'll, need a, uh, you'll need to get a TV card for your computer.
0: Uh huh. I have a PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes, but if you want the ultimate experience, that's what you'll do.
0: I I I don't use my computer to, to play video games. <laughs> I use oh, it no. to record podcasts.
2: Oh no, I know. You play it on the, the console, you stream that to the computer, the computer uploads to Twitch and all that other fancy stuff that viewers will love.
0: That, that takes a lot well, of work. I'm not,
2: I'm not looking to do that. <laughs> Fair <laughs>
0: enough. <laughs> I just want to like, I'll, I'll put my headset on, and I'll talk as I'm playing the game. That That's what I'm going to do. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't even have, like, one of those uh, PlayStation eyes so that, like, people can see me because I um, I would be playing in my bedroom, and I don't want people to know what my bedroom looks like. <laughs> so. Oh, cool. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's actually the the Seize the GM Twitch stream is where it's going to be on.
2: So. (laughs) So people can watch the game besides while we play other games. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All of you Twitchers, go add the Seize the GM stream, know that we are there, and expect Zen to add a lot more content to it as the opportunity presents. And remember what I said earlier? Is there something you want to see us do? Well, let us know, and... uh, Perhaps we can just make that work.
0: That's true, because I will probably be playing like ESO and streaming that. I'll probably also do my uh, my new uh Spider Man game. At some point. So. Sounds fun? Yeah. So what have you guys been up to? I'm sick. Ew. <laughs>
2: Yes, I've caught the uh, the cold that is running around. Uh, I am hopped up right now on Monster Energy Drink, which is why you can't tell too much that I'm sick. But don't worry, in about a day or two, I am going to be completely bedridden and <laughs> looking to my wife as a child and going, please help me. I need a blanket and soup.
0: <laughs> oh, you poor thing. I have managed to stay away from the, from the, the deadly plagues.
1: I have been uh, working a lot, uh, for good or ill, and just keeping my head above water, trying to write and read and uh, do more card catalogs. We should be wrapping up, we should have just wrapped up the One Pilot Three Ways and moving on to our next one by the time this drops, which I hope you will enjoy as another throwback to the 80s. Think you know what it is?
0: Another throwback to the 80s? Villains and Vigilantes.
1: Not a bad guess. (laughs) Closer than I expected. Not correct, but not a bad guess. Hey,
0: that was the the original superhero game at the time.
1: I have mentioned it in passing in a previous card catalog.
0: Or was it Capes and Cowls that was the first one? Oh, now I'm going to have to look it up. It was one of those. It was something like that. I remember the old dragon magazines having ads for
1: it in the back. Oh yeah. And a little like quarter page ads with one hero or villain. And yeah, yeah. but no, that's uh, that, that's not what I'm doing.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: But you're closer than I expected. No, uh, with Zen's shot in the dark, actually not being completely wrong.
2: Hmm. <laughs> I probably can't get any closer than him. I'm, racking my brain, but... I can
0: think of one other game system. that. Well, there was a couple, but the only other big one that I can think of off the top of my head would be very late in the
1: 80s. Is it the Ninja Turtles one? No, not doing the TM and Toss. Okay. No. Are you doing Marvel? Yes. <laughs> Face rip and... All that goodness mentioned in the other TSR write-up we've done recently for your favorite.
0: My favorite?
1: Yes, where they did not quite a second edition after Nighthawks and Zebulon's Guide to the Galaxy for Star oh, Frontiers.
0: Star Frontiers, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, they basically used the Face Frit Marvel system and never finished expanding on it with the rest of Zebulon's Guide. But we will talk oh, about all yeah. that in the card catalog. Go. Click on our website, seesthegm.com, and look at the Star Frontiers card catalog to hear that story and kind of read how that uh, did and didn't happen. And in the meantime, uh, we're going to talk a little bit to you today about something we've danced around a little bit, and yeah, we're going we to touch on a little here, but uh, it's probably just going to be part one of 30 or 40 at some point in the next decade,
2: yeah.
1: and that's how to adapt a system to other settings.
0: Now, okay, when you say that, what exactly are you talking about? Because some of these, see, we, we know that there's, there's settings and we know that there's systems. So are you talking about taking, like, uh, gerps? and using it with D&D.
1: More the idea of taking something like GURPS and using it with Forgotten Realms. Now, the issue here is, what do you look at in taking certain kinds of mechanics and taking them to a different setting? Because we've talked before about how settings can kind of reflect the crunch and vice versa. So it's important to think through whether or not that game, that system is going to fit that theme or setting that you want to play in.
0: Okay. All right. So I I can follow that because see, like I know that I have taken systems and, and mashed something else on top of it. Um, in the in the early aughts, there was a glut of things that that used the D20 system. Well, and that's that's one
1: of the fun things is that kind of showed a certain thing that we want to talk about as far as this crunch. The D20 open licensing, the open game license, and the D20 explosion allowed a great deal of flexibility and you can see that in some of going back to my favorite extra amount of time card catalog when we talk about mutants and masterminds it's built on a d20 system and what you can do with that and how you can take how that you to
0: deviate it
1: yes what you keep and what you change that makes that a really remarkable superheroic setting built on the same core mechanic for which Babylon 5 was licensed and built.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but then there's... But see, now now that can work, but there's also other problems that come with that. And that is you have some some settings are, I don't want to say rooted in a more realistic element but
1: the crunch can reflect the setting and vice versa and sometimes it's hard to square I think one of the examples and we've gotten the doodly do is is Shadowrun there is a a particular horizontal equity and and horizontal design that exists in Shadowrun since 1989 through 2019 that does not reflect well in D&D and D20 a uh, leveling versus non-leveling systems create a very different intra-party relationship and relationship to the world. And so, when you see cyberpunk and even cyberpunk plus magic D20 or level-based systems, there is a very different feeling in the world. And that uh, whether or not that ad- adaptation is what you want is the question. And That's, no, yeah. Yeah, it's all
2: about trying to match that tone, because verbatim, what a Shadowrunner is in normal setting, yeah, you're right, trying to take that and immediately slapping it on top of D&D is, would be problematic, but you could still work the sixth world into a system with leveling, provided that the story you're trying to reach can handle a system that your characters start here. When we get to this part of the story, we're going to be more powerful because that's what a leveling system does. And when you get here, you need to be able to adapt that story there. So it's... In many ways, you can kind of, at least in my experience of adapting systems, you can kind of adapt anything to anything so long as you understand the principles of what you're trying to tell and the tone you're trying to keep with. If tone of the original setting is important to maintain, then yeah. Moving to a leveling from a non-leveling system—that's going to crash and burn.
0: Yeah, because you're not. It it, it all has to do with the the original perception, mm-hmm. and you also have other elements of games like, specifically, we'll just stick with the Shadowrun to, like a D twenty sci fi. Because they did that. They did D20 mm-hmm. Modern, Sci-Fi, like you know, all of that. But when you start incorporating things like cybernetics and the way a game like Shadowrun specifically uses it, mm-hmm. it becomes really hard to explain away that whole entire concept of, of essence and how it relates to magic and your perceptions of the world because characters with high essence are more generally very broadly, very generally they're more human people than somebody that is like, you know, a fraction of a point. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It's,
2: it's all about understanding when you're adapting something like that, Going, you know, this mechanic serves this setting in this way. If I adapt it to the setting, do I need that mechanic? Do I need to do a little bit of adaptation to that mechanic? Or do I need to take a sledgehammer to that mechanic and just kind of toss it out when I bring this setting in?
1: And I think that is uh, easier to do when you go from a more rules-intensive, crunchy setting to system to a, a setting into a system that is much more rules light. I, I think that's harder mm-hmm. to do than taking a rules light based setting and adapting it into a crunchier system. Yeah. With one exception. Um, <laughs> <I'm> curse. <laughs> I do not believe that it is good and easy to adapt the Amber game. To a crunchier setting.
0: Um, yeah. Th- that one is. Is really hard. Because you have like. Character contributions. And. All of those which. You kind of have to do. In that system. Now granted you can use them. But yeah. Like the whole bidding. For like how good you are at things like some of those elements of that like crazy power level that they have do make it hard to bring it into something that has a more linear progression
1: or even more defined power yeah it's the the flexibility and softness of the statistics and stats for that make it hard to take it to one that has more definition. It's so much easier to take a setting that comes from a very crunchy system to a, a more rules-light system. Mm-hmm. And I think a good example of that is the evolution of the Star Wars role-playing games. As we go from West End through the 90s and into the current Fantasy Flight system, you can see how a world and setting that starts with a very crunch heavy kind of setting moves towards and can be implemented in a lighter version
0: yeah yeah i can i can see that because i like i've played i i i've played the west end version of star wars and i also saw the D20 version. I mm-hmm. never played that version, but the <laughs> the weirdness that is going from one, like, a system like, you know, more like a oh, I want to be better at this, so I just do that. You know, that's where I spend my points in. As opposed to, oh, I just get better at everything every time I do something. Which is where like the D20 Star Wars was.
1: Well, it was classic leveling system, D20 leveling system, mm-hmm. and it had a different feel. And there was a, a definite change, and that's something you should take away, listener, from our conversation, is that the the mechanics of the game reflect the feel and what your players take away often. And so we talked about this in horror and how to use other systems to evoke horror using the mechanics that come from different places. Think about that here in the reverse. Uh, For a superhero game, how do you create wonder in a system that isn't immediately superheroic? While you've got the hero system and mutants and masterminds that make it very simple for you to have a a flying, hundred-ton, lifting, energy-blasting superhero... How do you evoke that same kind of wonder in a class-based system and level-based system? How do you do that in something that is perhaps more tied to a storytelling mechanic and less crunchy? Adapting systems for other settings is part of how we saw the games explode in the '90s and early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a segue into one of your favorites, then.
0: <laughs> I have so many favorite games.
1: <laughs> Mage the Ascension.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. That is actually I have a I have a real soft spot for that game.
1: I, I'm looking at one of my books on the shelf right now.
0: Yeah. So I-
1: how do you how do you use Mage or how do you adapt other games for the Mage Crunch how do you take that into a different setting
0: oh. I feel like if I was going to do something that was more geared towards that mage feel I would really want a game that gave a lot more narrative elements kind of like the original, but the the original still had a fair amount of, of rules and, and crunchy little bits to it. Whereas I think it could really, really shine in a game system that was a lot more fluid. And I think something along the lines of... And I hate to kind of be fanboy about it, but fate really does just kind of want to give you those narrative elements, just as part of your your creation. Your
1: I character. mean, considering that we just used fate in the card catalog, and and I've promised to come back to it at some point. I think it's a good one to bring up because it's also. I think, emblematic of the rise of the early 2000s narrative games. I think it exemplifies uh, the ethos of those. And so whenever you take that kind of lighter-based system to crunch, how do you reflect that versus how easy is it to make the limits on players and crunchy systems reflected in Fate to get that same setting? That's, I think, a good way of looking at that challenge. <laughs> well, we've
0: we've actually talked about a show like that, and and it is <laughs> it is seriously the way that you control that is yes and yes or yes but and no. That's how you do it. You have to be. Because you have to remember that while you're doing all of these, you're, you're bootstrapping something that wasn't for the system that you're using. You have to remember that you still, as the, as the GM, have to have the ability to control enough of the story that you can say, You know, yes and, yes no. You know, you have to be able to do all of those. Because if you just let them run over you, then you're really not running that game. You're running a game that's not the one that you're pitching.
1: (laughs) Well, in episode 33, we go into that a lot. Yeah. And so if you're a new listener and have not been with us from the beginning, welcome. There's a link in the doodly doo. Go listen to episode thirty-three and you'll see what we talk about in the yes, yes and yes, yes, but no. And that style of improv. But Noel, what has been, in your experience, the least successful adaptation you've encountered? Hmm. Least successful? <laughs> That's kind
2: of curveball on I me mean, because I keep thinking about the good ones.
0: See, and I can think of another one that I felt did a really poor job of being. See,
2: I thought bothered. I was going to make you do the good
0: ones. <laughs> <laughs> there was method to my madness. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, there's, but there's a lot. I mean, in reality, I mean, there were some really good things, and a lot of it is that D twenty glut that we that we keep talking about. It produced some really great things. It also produced some stuff that you look back and you're like, what were they thinking?
1: For those of you who don't know, because you were not part of the gaming culture, or you were blissfully unaware, or perhaps you are but a wee young one who did not live through the Dark Ages and its renaissance – D&D 3.0 and 3.5 allowed Wizards of the Coast to create the D20 open licensing abilities and the original open game license that provided a freely usable set of mechanics. So those six stats and the D20 roll and the three saves and the base attack bonus, their proliferation came from Uh, the business and game design choice to freely allow that to be used by anybody so long as they put in a particular half page or page worth of rights information about where it came from. Yeah. So everybody, their cat, their dog, and sometimes even the goldfish would start publishing work for a D20 or OGL.
0: Yeah. So, So there was one and so I am a white dude, right? Just putting that one out there. I was born in the seventies. I'm not going to say when in the seventies, just in the seventies. I'm
2: curious there. what this is going. <laughs>
0: well, there was a game that came out for, in that glut period that was called solid gold, I believe. And it was a black, exploitation d20 game like you literally ran around as a black person with the afro the 70s like shaft you know like that was the game I don't remember who did it but I know that it existed and I think it was called solid gold but I mean it was taking a point that was in the media of that time of the of the 70s and they just threw it into a d20 game and that was just like what were they thinking it was bizarre i mean again this is a thing of they did what you know they just threw things at the wall and saw what stuck if it stuck, they made more of it. I mean at one point I think they even did the song of Fire and Ice as a D twenty.
1: Probably, but I think its newer version is, is likely better received. Oh, but most
0: likely. <laughs> but I mean that's that was another one. Like there were a ton, like I think somebody even did i know they they did not go through and actually do it but i know that there was a lot of talk about some of the crazy stuff that they would you know that they would get through and should never have gotten through in that time frame but i well, think but somebody tried to do a shadow run version and they were just like oh no 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 Yes, that is the game.
1: Wow. So it's on drive RPG if you want to go find it and, and uh, see what it is that Zen is, is talking about and that Noll had that immediate response to. I don't know if I'm going to link it in the uh, doodly-doo, but
0: uh... it's from Super Genius Games. We almost wow, Super genius did this.
1: And that, I think, is our cue to make that a whole different conversation. Yeah. In the meantime... Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I think with that, it's about time for us to roll right on out of our main topic and into...
0: And now we enter stat blocks. This is a segment where you can use something that we've created in your game
2: tonight
0: okay okay so now we need to wash our hands of this <laughs> so um, who wants to go first
2: not it I'm looking for the brain uh, brain bleach real fast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Zango uh, okay The day the Earth cracked. To think it started with a bang. And it ended with a bang as well. Then a roar and screaming. Lots of screaming. Everyone said it would end with a whimper. But damn, they were wrong. The idea that it would come from out of our solar system, that didn't seem strange. There was an extinction-level event that ended the reign of dinosaurs. Did it happen before that? Eh, No one's really sure or even thinks so. But the Fermi Paradox says that we should have seen something intelligent in the universe by now. Yet we haven't. What we find... What we found was terrible and earth-shattering. Both literally and figuratively. So, maybe you remember... July 16, 1945. How about August 6th or August 9th of the same year? Of course, you, you don't... Well, they were huge events on the world stage. They would be dwarfed by the thing that happened after that. It was months later. Almost five full months later, to be exact. February second, 1946 lives in infamy to those few of us that have survived. A week before that, we got a message from out in the void of space. We come in peace, is all the message said. We actually believed them, and why would we not? We had just ended a massive war that raged across the globe for the most part. We did it by showing the other side that we would stop at nothing to destroy them. When the ships got here, there were several. We could tell it was not a fleet, more like an expeditionary group. They were not here in peace. They wanted to stop us from destroying such a prime planet. So, in the cover of darkness, the ships spread out and started making broadcasts about how they were here to save us. The blast that triggered the eruption of every VEI seven and eight on the planet happened at once. So you see, the scream was heard around the world.
2: Wow, that's some nice foundation work.
1: <laughs> that's cool.
0: <laughs> so yeah. That'll that'll come up again later. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Bookmark this. Listen to it again. You might hear something that flows from it in the future.
0: Maybe. Maybe. You never know.
1: Well, I will go ahead and uh, take the next stab Okay. or crack at this. Sounds, Sounds good. With the Akira sequence. Sometimes the secrets of science do turn out to be more like magic, Clark be damned. Something special about this formula and research is apparent. It is elegant, but something isn't balancing properly. It's a difficult thing to come back to time and time again. You can see the math behind it, but you've not yet cracked the final proof that will have it fall together. Dr. Akira Katsura had left behind the work, The, the manuscripts, the pieces of the universe, reflected in this arcane but known script of mathematics. You found it after he retired and it has become your own obsession. Perhaps quest is a better word. Uh, Between the chalk scritched into the board that you wheeled out of his office to the neatly and pristinely written notebooks, you know there is something here that could unlock the mysteries of the universe. Late at night, or perhaps it was early in the morning, you found a way to balance the equation. You found a way to finish the Akira sequence. You found out that physics as you knew it was a lie. Uh, There really was nothing that stopped you from running up the walls, nothing to stop you from flying through the air. Walls were negotiable in this new understanding of the universe. The math showed you how to transcend what had been our limited understanding of this universe. The problem you now realize is that when you break physics, it breaks back. Just as the Akira sequence unlocked your ability to function with a new set of universal laws, so too did it unlock the universe's darkest corners, where things have been stuffed and boxed in, locked away and forgotten, from time immemorial. The laws of physics, even your newfound physics, meant nothing. They were free now, and you have to figure out how to break math to put them back in their cage. Oh, that is so good! Again, a
2: new good foundation. <laughs> yeah! Very cool. Oh, I like All it. Right. I guess I'll bring us home. Alright. <clears throat> the Soul Guardian Lamp. The lamp is simple. A brass cage with a thick carved stone handle. It's the carved stone holder for a candle. Polished metal and a handle along its top. The sides of the lamp are open, but the corners, the top, and the bottom are sealed with a dark stained glass. A woven steel thread of chain loops extend from the top of the lamp, where it hangs from a hook upon the store's wall. It flickers as people pass, soft whites, radiant golds, angry reds—a myriad of colors showing emotions, mnemonic scars, and thoughts of those whose presence illuminate its flame. The light shines clean and white and pure from human souls. Animals that pass leave a wake of light like flowing water. But the souls that stand out the most are the ones inflicted with magic and greater powers. A spell weaver leaves images of her eyes in the candle's core. A planeswalker casts illusions of the reality they have visited. The undead dull the flame, making it grow cold and dark. In this way, the lamp warns the store of who has entered of who crosses the threshold and what danger they may pose. Which is why it is curious, when the new figure has entered the store, and as they pass the lamp, the flame has frozen in place, not died down, not darkened, not stuffed out, frozen, like crystal, like time has stopped and turned all plasma to gems. What soul has come and unburdened the lamp? What danger was beyond all considerations?'
0: Mm-hmm. That's cool.
1: Thank you. I like it. It's a really interesting trio of, of things we've added, and I think that uh, Jules is is going to be sad she missed this this one, or happy she doesn't have to follow any of us. <laughs> it's
0: true, but before we before we go into our next thing, at this point, if you have been paying attention to the to the website you will see that we have somebody who has actually been writing stat blocks every week. So we actually have a new blogger, and that's what he wanted to do was write stat blocks. So I'm I'm not sure exactly where he's going to land at this point with how many he's gotten done for each each blog post, but he's he's shooting for between two to three
1: every post. So keep your eyes peeled. Check the Seize the GM website, com and read all of our fine content that is not part of the podcast and is there for your reading pleasure at your leisure, yes. including the newfangled additional stat blocks that will join the card catalog and uh, promised and eventually forthcoming World Building Wednesday.
0: I know.
2: I'm horrible. <laughs>
1: yes.
0: I have, I've got to get on it, but it's, it's yes. time that I don't
2: have right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely stop by and give the new guy some love, though. Yes. Let him know how you like his stuff.
0: Yes.
1: And with that, as we talk about writing and all of the fun that comes along with that, Zen, what do you have as our word of the day?
0: Lexicon where we give you cool words to help improve your vocabulary. Okay. I have a... I have a it's, it's a big one. Okay. It's...
2: it's uh, Halcyon. Oh. Oh, oh! Wait, I know this. I know this. Okay. Alright, this is a crossover of Cylons from Battlestar Galactica in 2001 when Hal gets himself a robot body?
0: Um, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> thought I had it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice try, though. This one actually has two entries, and we're going to go over both of them because they are both highly different.
1: My, my first thought in, in defining Halcyon is idyllic.
0: Yeah. So the first one, entry one, it is characterized by happiness, great success or prosperity, uh, golden, like your, the halcyon days of youth, hmm. um, peaceful or calm, and prosperous and affluent. And uh, then there is the second entry, which is a noun. And this one is a bird identified with the kingfisher and held an ancient legend to nest at sea about the time of the winter solstice and to calm the waves during incubation. It's also just like known as a kingfisher, basically.
1: Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. Having brain moments. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> now, this is something that's kind of cool, though. According to Greek mythology, uh, huh? <laughs> Alcyon, the daughter of the goddess, the, the daughter of the god of the winds, became so distraught when she learned that her husband had been killed in a shipwreck that she threw herself into the sea and was changed into a kingfisher. As a result, the ancient Greeks actually called such birds Alcyons or. Halcyons. Legend also says that such birds built floating nests on the sea, where they so charmed the wind god that he created a period of unusual calm that lasted until the bird's eggs hatched. This legend prompted people to use Halcyon both as a noun, naming a genus of kingfisher, and as an adjective meaning either of or relating to the kingfisher, or its nesting period, or call. Hmm. So, now the history and etymology for the noun is Middle English from Latin from Greek. And that's pretty much what it is.
1: <laughs> and, and somehow it just kind of transcribed over to, to the Halcyon we know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Alrighty.
0: And now, let's see, its first known use as an adjective was 1601. And as a noun, it was the 14th century. Makes sense. And its popularity was in the top 30% of words.
1: That is a rather involved lexicon this week.
0: Yeah, I, I found it and I'm just like, oh my god, this is really cool. I have to put all of this in. (laughs) instead of just like you know some of them have like 20 definitions for one word this one had two unique entries that weren't just oh yeah this is just another definition of the same word I mean this is even different you know sentence parts so which is what made it interesting so Let's go ahead and uh, throw this uh, closing remarks in and wrap this bad boy up.
2: You know, I think you and I should go first because I don't know why. I just, I just feel like you and I have, have closing remarks that should go forward ahead of time. Really? <laughs> yeah, okay. I think so.
1: Well, I mean, in all fairness, Noel did you know provide the final of the uh, stat block, so he should go first here. That's
2: true.
1: Water, mm-hmm. We'll
2: get to why that is (laughs) So I have been watching The Dragon Prince season 2 on Netflix It's so good It's so good It is a lovely Lovely like descendant of Just the fun of, Of the show creators Avatars things like that And just the mythology they have And I'm only like two episodes into this season and and they're just expanding the mythology so well of the setting. Yeah. The characters are fun, but it's still kind of a mature storyline. It's I I cannot praise the show enough. Yeah. It's really good.
0: And it just keeps getting better. I'm I think I'm like 6 episodes in.
2: Oof.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and there's some really cool things that happen. <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so you definitely just keep watching it because it just keeps getting better as it goes. Absolutely. So, OK, so mine is also a Netflix show. Mine is a Netflix original show, just like yours is.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: that is the Umbrella Academy.
2: That looks so cool.
0: It is so good. <sighs> like, <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong, Gardermo's, eh?
1: <laughs> Curse you both. Curse your eyes.
0: <laughs> I am only one episode into the Umbrella Academy, but that one episode, like, hooked me. I am, I'm trying to uh, get – I want to get through it because it has just been so good. So, yeah. Excellent! Excellent. definitely definitely need to check it out. Especially if you like uh, superheroes that are are different.
2: Cool. I'm looking forward to it as soon as uh, we're done with The Dragon Prince Season 2. We'll be jumping right into Umbrella Academy. Nice. So So what did
1: you have, (laughs) Gertemose? Yeah, what Netflix show have you watched that you want to tell us about? Well, I'd tell you about The Dragon Prince Season 2 except someone's already talked about that one. (laughs) And I'd you know, segue over to the Umbrella Academy, except someone else has been talking about that one. And I've previously mentioned the other Netflix shows that I have watched in yes. other closing remarks. <laughs> so instead, I'm going to recommend that you, dear leader, dear readers, find a glossy magazine. It doesn't really matter which one. Just one you are interested in that you can curl up with at home with a tactile paper product full of design with words and images. Lose yourself in that combination of things and thoughts that a large format publication can bring. Tune out the electronic media, turn off the TV, don't listen to music, lose yourself in a large glossy magazine. There are fewer of them that are made these days. The ones that are left tend to be high quality and you can find real inspiration or at least a few minutes with your own mind in them.
0: Yeah.
1: Or go watch those two shows on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Curse you. <laughs> which reminds it reminds me I need to actually go jump on Amazon Prime when I get the chance and watch the expanse.
2: Ooh, uh, that's on my two watch lists as well.
0: I I don't I don't watch that. It's good.
1: It's so good.
0: <laughs> I I have few enough hours in the day to uh, watch T V. I know it's been on my closing remarks before. Yeah, yeah, and and again, I I will eventually get to it, but
1: yeah, next decade. Yeah,
0: probably.
2: I mean, you know, we've only got a year or so left, so you know, not yeah, too far. We've got
0: time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, hey, thanks for listening this week, and hope you enjoyed our conversation about adapting uh, systems to other settings and kind of the the pitfalls, perils, and rewards that can be there. If you enjoyed us, please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe. Every rating helps us, and every time you say hi on the interwebs and various forms of social media, it brings a smile to one of our faces. You just have to guess which one.
0: It's usually me. (laughs)
1: I do scowl a lot.
0: You do. But it's okay. So, yep. So, until next time, folks. Have a great time, and get out there and uh, roll some
1: dice. Nice. Take care. What they said.
0: You can contact us or the show using twitter facebook or plain old email our twitter accounts are at zendead
1: at jules podcaster and at 2050 guard
0: and the show's twitter account is at seize the
2: GM.
1: you can find us on facebook at www.facebook.com slash seize the GM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at Seize the GM And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Seize the GM podcast. And we thank you. joining us for this episode of seize the gm feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage, page at the let the dice fall where they may and we'll see you all again next week seize the gm is released under a creative commons attribution non-commercial share alike 4.0 international license all copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners no infringement intended and no claim of ownership is implied
0: The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.